everywhere I turn right now, um, I don't know, you maybe don't read the same articles as I do or listen to the same podcasts, but um, I just keep hearing this word deconstruction. Have you heard this this term when it's when it's about faith? People are talking about deconstructing their faith. You may Now that I've said it, if you haven't heard it, you'll probably hear it somewhere. And do you, so if you don't know about this, it refers to somebody who is taking their taking apart their faith, literally deconstructing it. They're taking apart the things that they believed for a long time, particularly those who have grown up in church, particularly the, those in evangelical circles, which would be uh, kind of a, a big wide umbrella for people who are in denominations like ours who believe uh, conservative Christian values and, and those kinds of things. So Particularly in these circles, there's a lot of deconstruction going on. People are trying to find another way to live. They're, trying to, they're finding something else to believe. They're finding another version of uh, what we believe that kind of feels like it works better for them. That kind of thing. That's what deconstruction refers to. And on one hand, I actually encourage this process. I don't think deconstruction on its own is a bad thing. I think especially for those of us who grew up in the church, deconstructing your faith is actually can be a really redemptive process. If your faith, uh, if you grew up in a home where a faith was a thing and, and church attendance was happening every Sunday, uh, it's, really, it's, a, it's really important for you that you understand your faith for yourself, that you figure out whether this is something you actually believe, whether you want to follow Jesus with your life. It's not just your family tradition or your culture. Um, it's vital that you get down to the heart of that uh, on your own and for yourself, and you find out what you really believe. I, I, I really strongly encourage that. But on the other hand, when it comes to these stories of deconstruction um, that I keep that keep coming up, or reading articles or hearing podcasts about, it's I have I have yet to now like I'm saying this publicly now, so probably somebody will be like, I have a story that's not doesn't fit this mold, but okay, that's that's fine. But for all the stories that I've heard of deconstruction so far, I haven't heard one that isn't informed by a wound that that person has uh, experienced in church in some way. They have been hurt or been taught something that doesn't work or they've been taught something or told something that wasn't loving or merciful or they have looked to church leadership and they've seen somebody they respected fall morally or ethically or spiritually. They've seen hypocrisy, hypocrisy in their home growing up. So what they did every Sunday didn't line up with what was going on in their home uh, Monday to Saturday. And, and so it just all of the faith just stops making sense to them. I've heard those, those sorts of things happening in these stories of deconstruction. But what I haven't yet heard is somebody who was really looking for Jesus and, and looked him right in the face, looked at who he really is and found him wanting. The story that they're telling is that they couldn't find Jesus in the midst of everything else that was going on that was related to what they thought their faith was all about. And so this series in January we're calling a Reconstruction. And I'm not trying to be cheeky, though. Obviously, don't put it past me because cheeky is sort of something I do. But, um, but I, I'm calling this Reconstruction because I wanted to ab- uh, address with you some of the main objections to the Christian faith. And I hope to accomplish a few things with you in January. First of all, I want to answer, like I said, answer some of the most common questions about uh, Christianity. So we might call this like the construction phase. Some of you who are still exploring faith and you're not sure what you believe. And I just want to invite you in this series to construct this is a construction of, of what the Christian faith really looks like. You're welcome to that, and I hope that helps you. Secondly, I want to give believers who are struggling 
a solid foundation on which to stand. There are some who believe, but they're not sure what they believe, and you're not sure how deeply you want to go into this faith thing. And I, I'm hoping that this series will help you to do some reconstruction of your own. To say, like, I actually do have a really solid place to stand from. There is a reason for my faith, and I hope that this series does that for you. And I also, uh, I want to equip us as a church. I mean, that's our job uh, here at Church in Leadership, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I really want to equip you as a church with a basic understanding of apologetics, which is not apologizing for faith, but actually just a word we use that means defending the faith. So uh, not in a defensive kind of way, but do you know how to answer basic questions about your faith, um, some of the objections that come up? So you can know how to talk about your faith in your everyday life in a non-defensive and a relevant and an informed way without having to know ev absolutely everything, but knowing that you do have a solid foundation to stand on. And so I hope to accomplish those things with you in January. And so no matter what category you put yourself in with your faith, maybe you are deconstructing your faith right now. You're not sure what you believe or you grew up in it and you're just like, I don't know if this is real. Maybe you are brand new to faith and you're just starting to construct the, the, the structures around your faith. Or maybe you've been in it a long time and there's none of that, but you don't feel confident in answering questions about your faith. Um, and no matter where you find yourself, I want you to know something for sure. I don't have all the answers. Sorry. <laughs> like, for sure, that's going to be true, okay? Uh, but I do invite questions. And I, in my own life and in my own faith, um, I, have, I have had faith in Jesus for my whole life, and I have seen Jesus stand up to every question, every doubt, and every fear that I have ever placed in front of him. And so I encourage you to just take that posture with me in, in January as we walk through this. Just keep an open heart and open mind. Um, keep open ears, uh, active listening, those kinds of things. And just see what, what God might be saying to you through this and what kinds of questions come up. And obviously don't be afraid to ask them um, as we go through the series. Uh, we're going to start this morning with uh, talking about the Bible itself because the bible is of course where we get our information that tells us all about what christian the christian faith is so we have to understand like we have to trust that the bible is what it says it is we have to trust that the bible can be trusted or else the foundation of our faith doesn't really stand so we're going to start there this morning um and i'm calling this morning's uh message truth or fiction is this word of god truth or is it fiction I think we need to understand that first so we can build that as a foundation. So here's our outline. If you're into outlines, you want to make a checklist to see if we go through these things. Our outline for this morning is this. I'm going to talk a little bit about why the Bible itself, what it says about itself, why the Bible is valuable. Then we're going to secondly talk about why uh, the Bible is historically and culturally um, accurate and otherwise trustworthy. Uh, obviously, I have a very limited period of time, so we're going to just hit the highlights. We're going to do that a lot this month, but I invite you into deeper study in all of these things. And then thirdly, we're going to finish with um, uh, an invitation for you to feedback a little bit, and I want to talk about why, whether or not the Bible works in practice. So it's one thing to say you trust it. It's another thing, to, to, does it actually work? Like, do the principles in the scriptures work, and how do they work? So those are the three things we're going to talk about quickly this morning. Uh, first, let's get really clear on uh, what the Bible says about itself. Does the Bible actually claim to be trustworthy? Does it claim to be accurate? Does it claim to be the word of God? Let's take a little uh, a trip through scripture and see what it says about itself, okay? And then we'll talk about uh, why we can trust that. First of all, Romans 15.4 says this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have 
hope. So everything written in the past, so uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome here, and he's saying everything written in Scripture, that's what he means by that. All that's been written down in Scripture, everything that was written in the past is written to teach us. We are taught through the Bible. And he says that as we are taught through the Bible, we are actually um, given hope because of the encouragement and endurance that the Scriptures teach us. Okay, and because we have encouragement and endurance together, we become people of hope through what the scriptures provide, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 6 and 11, this is what it says. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. These things written down, in other words, the stories, specifically here in, to the church in Corinth, Paul's writing, talking about those Old Testament stories. These things were written down for us so that, so that they would be examples to us. And so, in other words, the Bible uh, is intentionally full of cautionary tales, people's real-life stories to help us to not repeat the mistakes of the past. These things were written down to inform us and to help us and to, to kind of uh, guard us against things that, are, 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 that can happen even to people who, you really, who, who really seem to have it all together. And then 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16 say this, But as for you, uh, Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to come back to verses 14 and 15 in just a little bit here. But, but just that back end of that scripture I read, I just read it to you for context. So Because when we come back, you'll know where it came from. But it says that the Bible is God-breathed. Literally given inspiration by God. This is what the scriptures claim about themselves. And the Bible helps to make us useful to God and to other people. So through the scriptures, we are again, like we've already been reading in other scriptures, we're taught, uh, we're rebuked. Anybody need a good rebuke every once in a while? So the rebuke is the negative things that you need to stop doing. And then we are corrected or given instruction uh, towards the positive. The scriptures do that for us. And also uh, we are trained for serving God and for serving others. That, that's the scriptures do all of those things. And then Hebrews 4.12, I love this one. The word of God is living and active. Sorry, I'm saying it in the old NIV because that's how I memorized it as a kid. Uh, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is not like any other ancient writing. There's lots and lots of other ancient writings. You know, you could look through the, the writings of Plato or Socrates, but there's not a lot of interest, I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of interest in my life for going through a, a daily study of Socrates. Do you know what I mean? It's not really alive and active in my life. But there's a reason that the scriptures are all of these years, like thousands of years after they were written, we're consistently, we're going through the Bible in a year again. And I do that every year because they continually are alive and active and they work. They're relevant to all people at all times. And this is, continues to happen generation after generation after generation. It says here that the word of God is effective. Everywhere it goes, 
Things have happened. Everywhere that the, the word has, the word of God has spread, things have happened. Consider uh, the, the printing press. When the, the printing press began to print the scriptures and people started to get the scriptures into their own hands and it wasn't just that they were listening to them in a language they didn't understand from a, a, a priest that was the only one who could read them and they had one copy. But when the scriptures started to be distributed, what happened? The Reformation happened. People started to read the script. Things happen when people get the word of God into their hands. One commentator said it like this, when people take God seriously, they immediately realize that his word is not only something to be studied, not only something to be read, not only something to be written about, it is something to be done. There's, there's just, it's just living and active. And of course, this Hebrew scripture is great because it also reminds us that the Bible examines our desires and our motives that emotional, intellectual part of us. The scriptures can get right to the heart of who we are and what's motivating us, which we need. Because I don't know about you, but, but uh, my inner life, my thoughts, my motives, my intentions, they're mixed up sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to know what, what my reason for doing something is. Sometimes things are genuinely spiritual and genuinely out of love. Sometimes we do things because we want it to look good in front of others. Sometimes we do things out of guilt or other motivations. And the word of God is just so good, Hebrews says, like just dividing a soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So this is, what, this is some of the things that scripture says about itself, what it does and, and, and how it works and, and, uh, and that it is in fact in, in, divinely inspired by God. So, so the second piece of this then in our outline, if you're, if you're following along, uh, is that, and also in case you're new with us and you don't know this, uh, if you go to the YouVersion Bible app and then go to more and then events, you can actually just, those scriptures are already loaded there for you. You can take a look for yourself. So it, the second piece of this is, 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 okay, so if that's what the Bible says about itself, if that's true, that's fantastic, but how can we know that we can trust the Bible is what it says that it is? And so the main objection that people often have in, in, the, in the Bible in it, of itself, or people who, are, who, who just are kind of new to it or, or hearing about it, the, the, the objection sort of maybe sounds something like this. There are many good things in the Bible, but you should not take it literally. <laughs> don't pull that as a soundbite, okay? This is an objection. <laughs> don't, don't take that as a soundbite. Uh, you must not insist that... Uh, it is entirely trust, trustworthy and completely authoritative because some parts of the Bible are wrong or historically unreliable, unreliable or culturally regressive. And so you might have heard that objection. Maybe you have that objection or you have talked to somebody with that objection. And you can imagine, like I said earlier, this is a huge topic. There's so much beautiful stuff that we can study in this topic. So much work has been done by scholars that you can easily access, and I encourage you to do so. Um, but I'm going to uh, follow the lead in this message and in the, in the messages to come uh, of Timothy Keller in his book, The Reason for God. We, we did it as a small group, at Connecting Point Groups, many years ago, and it stuck with me for so long um, that uh, I'm using this. If, you have, if, you, if you're interested, uh, in the email devotional this past week, I put a link to it. You can read it for yourself to kind of explore these issues a little bit more deeply. It's, it's a great resource. But here are some, and I'm I just want to give credit where it's due. I'm stealing uh, some of this outline from this book here, so you'll see it if you're in the book itself. Here are some points to, to, to talk about this objection. Can, 
you know, the Bible can, is not entirely trustworthy or that it's uh, historically unreliable or it's culturally regressive. How would you speak to somebody about that? So let's talk a little bit about uh, the historical part. First of all, just, uh, you know, in brief, historically, this, the stories in Scripture can't just be legends. They can't just be things that people made up because they wanted to create a narrative that served their purposes. And we'll use the Gospels as an example because obviously we can't go through every part of Scripture today. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the story of Jesus, uh, the story of, of his, his birth, his ministry, his death, and then uh, what happened just, just a little bit after that in his ascension to heaven. And just historically speaking, they were written very, very soon after, historic, like, you know, as far as historical writings go, they were written very early after the events actually happened. And the people who are mentioned in the events were still alive. A lot of them were when these events were written down. For example, Luke's gospel was written 30 or 40 years after the events, which might sound like a long time to us, but in, in context for writing historical works, that's actually a very, very short period of time because many of the key players were alive. Paul wrote his letters 15 or 20 years, uh, his first letters, uh, after Jesus' life. In Mark's gospel, for example, uh, there are some details included that uh, that, that we just wouldn't make any sense. They wouldn't make any sense if the stories weren't true. Uh, he talks about uh, Simon, Simon of Cyrene, the, the man who carried Jesus' cross. And he makes this little, little side note. He says, the, you, know, the, you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus, who obviously were known to the readers. Uh, like they, were, they would, yeah, you know, you know, Simon, yeah, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. You wouldn't make those kinds of claims historically because those people were clearly still alive when the, when the account was being written down and it would be very quickly debunked if the stories were fiction. There are a lot of examples of that in the scriptures. The events that happened in scripture also weren't things that happened in secret or underground. These things were on display for all to see and all to say, that, that didn't happen, or that story is untrue, or I, I know that person, that's, that's not true. That would, if they were written down so closely after the events actually happened, they would be quickly debunked. Paul says to King Agrippa, when he's talking to him, uh, this is in Acts 26, uh, he's talking to the king and he's like telling him all of these things about the Christian faith. And Paul says to the king, these things were not done in a corner. In other words, all of this was on display for all to see, and they've been written down now, and so we can know that they're true because, because everybody knows that they happened. We were there, and what's been written down is true. And the other thing is, if you've read through, some of this is really common for us, but if you have read through the Gospels or any other part of Scripture, uh, the content is a bit counterproductive for it to be a legend. <laughs> like, it's a bit counterproductive. For example... Like, the big, the big deal guy in, in the New Testament church is Peter. And the Gospels are full of how, like, what an idiot Peter was. <laughs> like, this is like their primary leader in the church. Like, he's so well-respected, and he's going around, and, like, everything he touches, people are healed, and all this kind of stuff. But the story of the Gospels is, like, him just, like, falling over himself and denying Christ and all of the things. And this was their primary leader. Like, these stories would be a little counterproductive if they were just trying to push through a narrative. Weakness and failure and denial and doubt and anguish and all of that from some of their most prominent leaders. So we, we do see historically that that, that just doesn't make sense. It w you wouldn't write the narrative like that if you were trying to just serve a purpose. You would write it like that if that's what happened. 
The other piece that often comes up when it comes to scripture is culturally there are times when scriptures seem to do things that are culturally regressive, like support slavery or subjugate women. But when you slow down and read the scriptures uh, and you study them a little bit more deeply, you begin to see that the passages might not teach what they first appear to teach from a 2022 point of view. Because we're so far removed culturally from what was going on in the days and, and beyond uh, from the days that they were written. For example, slavery. We've actually talked about this, I believe it was uh, last spring. For ex- Slavery in the time of scriptures was nothing like what we picture slavery now. The slavery that we know of and have learned about um, is race-based and it's... Um, People were stolen as property and abused uh, so brutally and not treated as, uh, as human. And that's what we think of when we think of slavery. But in the time of, of the scriptures, slaves earned wages. Uh, a slave couldn't be distinguished because of their race. There could be, it could be any race, color. Uh, you could be a slave. It doesn't, you couldn't tell they were a slave by their speech or their clothing. And a slave could buy their freedom it was more like they were like having to pay off a debt or they were getting out of a dire financial circumstance. And they could usually buy their freedom within 10 to 15 years. This is not the slavery that we think of today. So when you hear the word slavery in scripture, you might put it through your lens of 2022, but we need to understand there's so much more going on that we can study and understand the context. When scripture is used to subjugate others, which it has been many, many, many times through history, Many times. In fact, even in the slavery that we think of, of now, uh, it, scripture was used to subjugate other people. And I have to tell you, it's not the scripture that was wrong. It was the person using the scripture incorrectly that was wrong. Very wrong. And so for all the places where we might struggle in our, from our current modern lens to, to understand something that we're reading in scripture based on our current cultural moment, that we have now arrived in. Uh, And if we reject the Bible as regressive because of the moment we're in now, we have to remember that we're also saying, first of all, we're not looking maybe more deeply into what was going on at the time, but also we might also be saying the current cultural moment we're in is the most progressive and we've got it all figured out now. (laughs) And I'm not sure that any of us would be confident to say that. There are still things we're learning. There are things in our society that we need. We're, we're going to look back on this in 100 years and say, why would we have done it that way? Still, we're still progressing, of course. So there are many things that we have to understand. We haven't, even in this moment, figured everything out perfectly. And also, there is a piece of this, too, where we look at it, where we, if, we, if we reject Scripture because something in it is offensive or we don't understand what it's saying, Uh, we just reject all of scripture, we have to understand that we are also saying that God might have some views that we don't like and we're okay to reject scripture for that. And I gotta tell you, I hope God has some views that are different than mine (laughs) because I know that my views are not all correct. And so if you take that broader context and say there is a possibility that there is something here that I need to learn or I don't understand, or I need to dig more deeply into, or there's just something that's going to be a mystery to me for a while, um, that's a great place to start because, uh, because there is just so much that we can know from Scripture, and that's why we can trust it historically, that it's not culturally or historically regressive or uh, um, irrelevant. So when you consider the, the controversies and the things in Scripture that are difficult to understand 
especially in our culture, like I said, many, many years removed from those original writers and audiences, the first people who were hearing these scriptures written down. What I want you to always do in a conversation, or even if you're just constructing faith for the first time, what I want you to do is not, I don't want you to land in 1 Timothy where it says that women should be silent in the church and wonder what I'm doing up here. If you want to study that, that's great. Let's have that conversation because you know I think it was fun and I obviously have come to peace and understood culturally where, that, where that's coming from. But maybe don't start there. Start with who Jesus is, what he said, uh, what he commanded, and look to the places in Scripture that point to Christ. And take that as the center and then you can start to learn out from there if you're constructing your faith for the first time. Look to, don't look for the controversy first. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus when we look in the scriptures. And then the third part of this, of course, is does the Bible work in practice? The Bible itself says that it's valuable. Uh, the Bible is historically accurate and otherwise trustworthy. Uh, we, there's lots and lots of stuff you can study on that if you're interested. But thirdly, and maybe most importantly for us in our everyday lives here, um, we want to have those things as a foundation, but also, does it work? Like, does it actually work? Like, you can believe in something, but then go, I love this, I agree with it, I believe in it, but it doesn't work in my everyday life. Like, that's not a great place to be. So even if you have doubts and questions, even if you do, do come to controversial passages and you're studying and exploring and you're trying to figure out the authenticity of Scripture and you're wrestling down the controversies you've found, to me, this is where, that's, that's great. Go ahead and wrestle with the Scriptures. I love that. We do, we do that. We have three series called The Bible Says What?, if you want to go back in our archive and, and listen through some of those controversial passages that we've sort of wrestled through. Um, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Does it work? Does it work? And one of the best ways to know if something is true is if it actually works. If scripture says something is going to happen or uh, some, there's going to be some outcome and then you do it and that happens, it, it authenticates what God is saying. That, that this is the way. That this is the truth. That this is the way to life. That's just basic science, right? You have a hypothesis, you test it, and you see if it's true. Do the Bible's commands and promises hold up in real life? That's just, do they hold up in real life? Go ahead and ask yourself the question. And this is essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy. That first scripture I read, 1 Timothy, or sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16, this is what he says. Listen to it one more time. But as for you, continue in what you have learned... And have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's happening here is Timothy is being reminded just about this, that this is where the rubber meets the road, Timothy. This is where it comes down to real life. Timothy, remember the faith of your grandmother, Lois. If, you just, if you're interested, you can flip back to the first chapter of 2 Timothy where he actually names uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother. He says, remember the faith of your grandmother, Lois, and the faith of your mother, Eunice. And remember that watching them live out the truths of the scripture has been a convincing evidence to you of the reliability of those scriptures. Because you saw it, Timothy, growing up, and so you know that it's true, that when you live according to the scriptures, it actually works in real life. And that was part of the reason that your faith is so strong, Timothy, and you're a young pastor, you're pastoring this church, you've got all this responsibility, because your faith is secure, because you've seen it play out, you know that it works, you know that God is real, and you know the things the scriptures say are true. You've seen it, and now you're living it for yourself. And so this is the question I have for you, church. 
Can you give me an example? And this is, um, I, is somebody following? Erin, are you following um, the live stream? Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I saw her on her phone. I didn't think she was just texting friends. I thought she was probably, that's, I, she's just proving, off campus, she's just proving that she's like hanging with you guys, okay? Um, so it, I want, this is for you off campus and on campus here as well. Here's what I want to know from you as we close this morning. Let's give a couple of examples of whether or not this is true, where the rubber meets the road. If we believe what the Bible says about itself, we hear that there are some great, great reasons to believe in the historical accuracy and, and the cultural relevancy of Scripture. Does it actually work, and how does it work in your real life? What's an example of when you've seen something in the Word, put it into practice in your life, and it actually worked? Can you think about those things? I'm going to give you an example just to give you some time to think. One of them is dealing with conflict. I, I think about this one a lot. Because we're people and we have conflict because we don't always agree and we don't always get along. In Matthew 5 and 18, Jesus teaches about conflict. In 1 Corinthians 6, Scripture teaches about conflict. And I always think it, it actually works. So the, the principles, there's some general principles are when you have a problem with someone or you know someone has a problem with you, what you're supposed to do is go and talk to everybody else about it. No. <laughs> it says you go to the person, you have a conversation, and you see if you can have a meeting of the minds. If you're in the wrong, you go to that person humbly and you say, hey, I, I see that I did something here. I'm sorry. Um, and will you forgive me? You know, if you know that uh, there is, uh, there is some, something between you, don't take it to the courts and sue each other. Figure out if you can work it out. And if that doesn't work, then bring somebody else into that conversation that can help you to, to mediate that conversation. And, and, and make sure that you can work it out humbly between yourselves. That's what scripture teaches about conflict. Is to not just let it linger, not to talk to other people, but go right to the source with humble hearts and say, let's talk about this difference that we have. And let's find forgiveness and let's find a way forward. To me, it just, and it, like I got to tell you, it works. You know what doesn't work? Everything else. <laughs> like gossip, bring, talking to other people. I mean, you're, I mean there's, one, there's one thing about like asking for somebody to give you advice or whatever. But generally speaking, what works is just going heart to heart with someone so often. You know? And sometimes people will go, forget you. Okay, well, okay, that's them. But that's on them and not you. And you can be free of that. You can be free of that. So that's an example that I was thinking of. But let me hear, how does the Bible work for you? Let's get a few examples going. Um, can you do both? You're such a multitasker. She's got a live stream in one hand and a live mic in the other. Let's go, Pastor Aaron. Okay, let's, let's go. Um, Nicole and I had, uh, have had James 1 as our, our verse for, for so long. And it's just really interesting to look back. And when we haven't considered the testing of our faith and the trials and, and, and such as pure joy, we just go around the mountain again. Uh, like we just, we circle it back around and, and looking back at the things that have developed perseverance, perseverance developing patience, patience developing maturity in our lives. It is when we walk through those trials and those uh, hardships, considering it a, a privilege to to be led through them. Yay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's when, when you had asked yeah. that question, that, that's what was bouncing around my head. That, and, and you know what, what, what else works? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you're talking about James 1, too. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Uh, the new NIV probably says brothers and sisters. Uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, 
so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Yeah, yeah, consider it pure joy. That's great. It works. It's not easy, but it really does work to produce maturity in us for sure. Another example of how scriptures work. We got two on the side. Now we're just warming up. Aaron, are you wearing your Apple Watch? You're going to get these as steps. You're going to count these as steps today? Yes. Good. I don't know where it is in the Bible, but take all your thoughts captive and make them obedient okay. slaves under Christ. Uh, that became real for me uh, this past few months, where it's like I've always known that scripture, but it's like it actually works. And uh, it's not just if it doesn't work the first time I pray it, then I pray it again. <laughs> and then it works. And nothing else works. <laughs> Uh, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. What does that sound? What does that sound like in your mind? What does that mean to you? How do you mean? Do you say, Jesus, I take this thought captive and I make it obedient to you? Yes. Okay. Good. Like, I, like, <laughs> I just want to be clear on the instructions. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. So yeah. just take the the like literally say, okay, now I take all my my thoughts and I take them captive, and they are under Christ and they have to be filtered through you, Christ. Yeah. And then five minutes later, I'm not as anxious anymore. Yeah, that's great. It actually works, right? Not here. There's a lot of scriptures I think about like that Pernilla too. That's a great, a very specific action. Same with like uh, Philippians 4, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, present your request with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will go. You know what I mean? So he's like, that, ah, yeah, that works too. But you may have to do it multiple times and just keep bringing those things. That's good. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, the path the scripture worked for me is the path as knowing him as Jehovah Jireh. Mm. Um, there was a time in our lives, my husband had to go for training for three months. And it was just one income at home. And the next paycheck that came in, came in with $400 more. And as a good Christian girl, I went to HR. I said, I think you guys made a mistake here. I got a little bit more than what I should get. She's like, oh, no, don't worry. It looks like maybe they took too much tax. Don't worry about it. And for three whole months, back to back, $400 extra was coming into my account. The week my husband finished his training, the HR called me and said, hey, look, we made a mistake. Um, you don't need to pay back. We'll just <sighs> fix it. And... Up till now, I don't just understand. When God says he's your provider, indeed he is your provider. Yeah. Jehovah Jireh. I have, I have so many examples, but that's one I have to share today. Maybe yeah. later on I can share more. Yeah, and if you're new if you're new to church or new to the scriptures, Jehovah Jireh is an Old Testament uh, explanation of God. Je God is our provider. God is a provider. You want to sing the song right now? Jireh, you are enough. No? No, just me? Oh, I thought we could sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Yeah. His grace is sufficient for me. Yeah. Just. Yeah. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, my provider. This is who was saying to me the other day. <laughs> Matt's with me. Somebody was saying to me the other day, I was like, why do you know all the songs? I was like, I don't know. When you grow up in the church. Yeah, that's great. How else? Any, any other examples this morning? Does it work? God, I'm, guys, I'm really, I'm really excited that there's some answers because I was really hoping that this was going to be true. <laughs> I wasn't. I actually wasn't. If I could just say something very quickly. You were talking about the uh, old term of slave. Mm -hmm. um, the best way we could describe that old term of slave to today's standards is credit card debt. 
You know, when you think about financially tied, we willingly You're sitting engage. there with the financial peace <laughs> yeah, group yeah. leaders in front of you. They're the just like, of like hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you think about it, really, yeah. we, we willingly agree into a financial agreement which kind of binds us for a period of time, mm. right? And we can buy our way out of that slavery, right? Um, Interesting. Yeah. So the way that uh, God's worked in my life is um, knowing that I don't have a right to anger and conflict. Mm. You know, and, but I do have a right to love. So when you're angry, love as hard as you can until Jesus shows up because you sit there and pray and pray and pray. You don't want to, but yeah. you do. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. To show love instead of expressing anger. Because anger is an emotion. It is what it is. But to not sin in that anger and to choose love instead, has that ever failed you? Right? No. <laughs> has anybody ever done something they regret in anger, though? <laughs> you know? You know how it is? Yeah. So, so... I know this is a cursory look at this big topic, but I invite you, I invite you to just consider and, and, and do your own study, grab some great resources, and, and know in your heart, construct and reconstruct the fact that the scriptures can be trusted. The, the scriptures can be trusted, and we can use them. They're living and active. They're judging the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. They, they, every day, they, they can uh, do and speak uh, something new, and, and it really does work in everyday life. So church, let's stand. And let's just, uh, let's end in prayer thanking God for this great gift. And we do say that, Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of the living word that we can hold in our hands. Thank you for the uh, opportunity to live in 2022 where we can literally access the scriptures anywhere at any time. We can have them on our phones. We can have them in, in paper copy. We can listen to somebody else uh, uh, reading scriptures to us. It's just unbelievable. We're so grateful for that. And we pray that that familiarity wouldn't uh, make us apathetic, but it would bring us deeper into an understanding of your word. For those who are struggling to, to really trust that the scriptures can be relied on, uh, Lord, we invite you to just to speak, to bring the right resources, to bring the right conversations, to help us to get uh, a real solid foundation in the fact of the reliability of the word of God and that it really does, when the rubber meets the road, your word will stand and that it can be trusted and it can be walked out in beautiful ways and, 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 it's, and it's correct in how it guides us every single time. And Jesus, we know that scripture says you are the word, the living word. And so we thank you that you came for us to put on display the word of God for us. So we look to your example, Jesus, and we, we want to make you the center. So we, we look to your teaching, we look to your commands, and we ask for your help to walk them out as we consider the foundations of our faith again. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.